Hello, everybody. Welcome. I am super excited to be kicking off uh, this new series on prophetic people. Um, it's really exciting because these are weird books a lot of the time. These are mysterious uh, books with loads of strange imagery and, and can be quite difficult for us to get into when we're just reading in our kind of personal devotional times. But there's so much rich truth in these books. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody's going to bring, kind of unpacking all of these mysterious, kind of strange things that goes on in the Old Testament. The prophets um, from sort of Isaiah and Jeremiah through to more obscure ones like Obadiah. Um, if you're new to the Bible, you're here today and you've never picked up the Bible, um, we're going to be talking about some of the slightly odder things going on. I'm going to try and explain everything that happens in Hosea so that... Uh, you should be able to keep up anyway. Um, but ev everything in these books are good. Even if you pick them up and you think, I've got no idea what's going on in here. It's all good. I mean, you've got to ask, first of all, what is different about the prophets? Um, and basically, back in the time before Jesus, God spoke to his people differently. It was through individuals, prophets. Um, we know that... Uh, Prophecy for us is different because uh, it says in Hebrews, um, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's, he has spoken to us by his son. So we know that there was actually a dividing line where he stopped speaking through individual prophets. And then in Corinthians, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. And so there's an implication there that prophecy has become for all of us. And that's certainly what we practice here. We believe that every one of us can prophesy. Now, our prophecy isn't the same as the prophets. For one thing, we're not going to be asked to lie on our side for 400 days like Ezekiel did or something like that. It's, and we're also not writing scripture when we prophesy. We're, when we prophesy, it's to build up the church. But this was um, God authoritatively speaking through individuals to the people of Israel. Um, but the other thing you need to remember about prophets uh, and kind of what makes them tricky is that they were for a very particular time and place. Um, and each one of them was directed at the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen people, who um, God had chosen to bless the rest of the world with. So each of these prophets uh, were for Israel. Now, prophetic proclamations about Israel can often be directly transposed onto the church. So famous passage in Jeremiah when it says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, it's plans to give you a hope and a future. We, we use that all the time. And we can use that. We can say that was about Israel in exile, but we can use that to encourage the church as well. And so all of these things that were aimed at a totally different culture uh, and time and historical context can often be used. Uh, applied to us as well. And the challenge with the prophets and why I think this series is going to be so exciting is working out how to apply what God said to Israel at this time to us today as a church. And thankfully for me, uh, Paul uses a part of the passage that we're going to be reading today uh, in Romans. He says, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I'll call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. So Paul has taken Hosea and said, yes, this applies to us as well. So I was like, I've been let off, phew. <laughs> so there's so much truth in these books. 
Today I'm going to be looking at a book of, uh, the book of Hosea. Um, I want to essentially do three things with it. Firstly, I just want us to get a better understanding of the text so that when we go to read it ourselves, because I'm obviously not going to be reading all 14 chapters today, so when we go to read it ourselves, uh, we understand the context of it. But more importantly, I believe that through Hosea, God is calling you today to love him more wholeheartedly, to give all of yourself to him. And then finally, I want to look at Jesus' example of how he loved us first. So let's read the passage. We're reading from Hosea 1, verses 2 to 9, and we're going to jump uh, to verse 14 of chapter 2. So, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, son of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Therefore, this is jumping ahead, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond, as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lay down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. I'm just going to pray. Lord, would you speak to us through uh, the prophets? Um, through this whole series, God, we want to hear from you on all of these things. And I pray that you use me today um, to bring the truth out of Hosea for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, some explaining needs happening. This is a slightly strange thing. Hosea is told to marry an adulterous woman. What on earth is going on here? And you know when I said about we don't do weird actions like the prophets did in the old book, I just want to clarify, from the off, we are not called to go and marry people we know are going to be adulterous. Not a good idea. So what is happening here? Well, the time when Hosea was speaking to Israel, um, there was a king, Jeroboam II, who was part of the Jehu dynasty, who essentially had led Israel into corruption at this point. Um, and 
sort of led them into a hedonistic lifestyle where kind of anything went. Um, and it, it was, they were strong economically and globally connected, but the result of them being linked to people all around the world was that they decided to start taking bits of their religions and merging them with uh, their worship of Yahweh. So instead of their the monotheism, they practice something called polytheistic syncretism, which is just a fancy way of saying that it's, it's this kind of cocktail of all these different religions. And then not long after Hosea was speaking, um, Israel were scattered. They were sent into exile. So that's kind of the context for it. Um, and uh, the way Israel were behaving is brought up in Hosea. Um, in Hosea 4, charges are brought against Israel. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. At this point, Israel were a mess, and they weren't living the life that God had called them to when he first made the covenant with them. They've broken the covenant that they made with God in the desert um, when Moses was leading them. Uh, we know this covenant, a famous part of it is the Ten Commandments. And if you remember the first one, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. And yet here Israel are, worshipping any god that kind of appeals to them at the time. Um, and that was leading to all sorts of terrible behavior that's outlined in that chapter. And God says, this, what you're doing, worshipping all these different gods, is like adultery. Because we see marriage as a covenant. It's a sacred covenant. And it reflects the covenants that we make with God. And God's saying, you've broken the covenant, and it's just like committing adultery. And the thing with Hosea is, he marries this person knowing, that she, knowing full well that she is going to be adulterous. Um, your Bible may even have stronger language linking it to the language of prostitution at this point. And God's saying, that's what it's like. It's like we were married to one another, and yet every night you're off sleeping with other people. Uh, Goma, his wife, wasn't a prostitute. Um, in this society, adultery and promiscuity were just an accepted part of marriage. She wasn't a special case. This was just what marriage looked like at the time. So God uses this marriage as a representation of Israel despising and rejecting their covenant with God. And then we get God's response to it, the naming of Hosea's children, which is a stark warning against Israel. Jezreel your lead, uh, is, it actually means God scatters, and it's like, your leaders have corrupted the nation, so I will take power away from the leaders. Lo Ruhamah and Lo Ami were probably not even Hosea's children, so we get this generational thing of there's a whole generation of people who can't even call themselves God's people. And lo ruhama, no, no love, no mercy. God is abandoning Israel to their own desires. They want out of the covenant, and he's going to allow it. And then lo ami, when he says, you are not my people, this is momentous. I'm just going to pause on this for a moment. It's going to be a little bleak, but I just want you to feel the weight of what it means when God says to them, you are not my people. Because all the way back since Genesis, God's relationship with Israel has been defined as, you are my people and I am your God. 
The whole land of Canaan, it says in Genesis, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then in Exodus and Leviticus, it says, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. I will walk among you and you, be my, and you will be my people. The idea that they are the people of God and that Yahweh is their God is foundational throughout the whole Bible. And in fact, the phrase, I will be their God and they will be my people, uh, appears in all of these places as well um, in the next slide. Nope, not that one. Oh, well. There is, I, I came up with 12 different places. There you go. That's throughout the whole Bible where it says, um, they will be my people and I will be their God. And so for God's sake, for you are not my people and I am not your God. It is huge. So some, at this point, you might be thinking, well, why on earth did you think to use Hosea to open up this series on prophets? It's all looking a little bleak right now. But that's only half the story, because then the next bit we read reveals that God is grieved by the fact that they are worshipping other gods, but God is faithful. He says, I will lead her into the desert, and the desert was where Israel first made their covenant with God. So think of it as like renewing marriage vows. And the language is fruitful and blessed. There's vineyards, there's songs, there's marriage, there's joy, there's faithfulness and peace. And he, crucially, he says, I will remove the names of Baals from her lips. The covenant is restored on both sides. They return to him, God saying, I'm going to restore this relationship that was lost. And at the end of it, he says, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. So even this huge proclamation that God makes against Israel, he says, don't worry. That's not the end of the story. And you've got to wonder why. Why does he persist and promise that this good will come in the end? Well, in Hosea chapter 11, we find out why. Um, I'm just going to read a bit of Hosea chapter 11, but essentially, it reveal, on the next slide, essentially it reveals, it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. And he goes on like that, revealing that this whole time he's been faithful, this whole time, he's, he's loved them. And he says, and I will restore you. So what does this have to do with us? Well, although I've established that Hosea is aimed at a specific time and place, God wants to speak through it today. And he's calling us to wholeheartedness. Everyone here has a capacity for idolatry, making us a little bit like Israel. And it's a heart condition. Now, if you read Christian blogs, uh, you'll see pretty much everything under the sun being declared as the great idol of our age. Uh, the two that get brought up the most are sex and money. Um, but it, there's more than that. It could be uh, your comfort, your career, your academic success. What an idol is, is essentially anything that takes a place in your heart where God should be. Think about it like marriage. Again, in Matthew 22, uh, Jesus tells us to love him wholeheartedly. 
says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Now, I'm not married, ladies, but <laughs> I've been to enough weddings that I've learned, I've, I've, I've learned just from watching so many weddings and, and reading what the Bible says about marriage. And it says, essentially what I've picked up from all of these weddings is that marriage is about giving yourself fully to the other person. Now that's really controversial in our day and age. Um, it's seen as dangerous. Like maybe you want to guard yourself. Don't give everything. You know, you, you've got to have a get out clause. But that's not what covenantal marriage looks like. It's about giving everything to the other person. And imagine the opposite. Imagine marrying someone and they'll be like, yeah, no, I'm going to give like most of me, but I'm going to save like that extra little bit of me for some other people. Um, uh, might have a bit of adultery, you know, you never know, but it's to be expected these days. That's not what we're called to, and that's not how we're called to our relationship with God as well. Covenantal relationship with God is about giving yourself fully to him. And some of you in the room might already be reacting against this. You, you might have been hurt in the past by giving yourself fully to somebody else. And you might be thinking, I, I need to guard myself. But with God, you can trust him. Let him speak to you gently and remind you of his faithfulness. Giving everything to God leads to healing, not brokenness. There are three ways to develop wholeheartedness. By changing your actions by asking for more of the Holy Spirit and looking to Jesus. So think about your actions. And giving yourself fully to God comes with sacrifices. For me personally, what this has looked like recently was um, after I graduated with no clear direction of where I was going to go, the one thing I knew was that Edinburgh was where God was calling me. And this was where I was meant to be, and I was meant to be serving the church here. But that came with a cost. It came with the fact that I didn't apply for jobs outside of Edinburgh. And that meant working in uh, jobs I hated for quite a long time, and not just ducking out, because that was where God had called me. And part of giving my all was basically saying, OK, I'm going to trust you in this. And it came with a sacrifice. So what does it look like for you? Perhaps it means spending more time devotionally than you give to your career. Or it could mean that actually you need to change something in your mind about how you relate to your children, teaching them more about being a disciple than teaching them how, how to be A-star students. It could be praying when you have study deadlines and you think, I've really got to get this done. But you actually think, no, I've committed myself to giving myself wholeheartedly to God. So I'm going to, I've made this sacrifice and I'm going to give this time. It could mean taking risks when all you really want from life is comfort. Determine your priorities and then act on them. Don't let your actions determine your priorities. And that's part of what being wholehearted is about. Israel, in Hosea's time, placed their own pleasure as their priority. Their actions meant that God sank further and further down the list. 
But ultimately, our actions only take us so far, and idolatry is a heart issue. So I want us to look at uh, how we can give our hearts fully to God. And in Hosea, God's promise of restoration comes with a changed heart, something which we see in Ezekiel as well. In Ezekiel it says, um, I will take out their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. So God has promised this heart of flesh to us. And the other thing that he's given us is the Holy Spirit. And the more we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, the more that our hearts will be turned towards God. There's an old song that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wondrous face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And the more we look towards Jesus, the more everything else of this earth will be will we'll just fade away. We've got to ask God for that, though. We've got to ask for the Spirit and say, Lord, change my heart. Change me daily. Turn it towards you more and more each day. In marriage, you wouldn't want a heart that's constantly distracted. So say, God, turn my heart towards you. And it's a journey. But my final point, and probably the most important one, is that the best way to live wholeheartedly for God, to give everything to him, is to understand how much he loves us, how much he gave everything for us. If anyone here is feeling convicted and thinking, oh no, I'm, I'm so guilty of this idolatry, then I want you to know that you are forgiven and you are loved and your relationship to God has been restored. It says in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. And so when we get into our minds how much God loves us, that helps us to love him more. Hosea is ultimately a love story. It says, the the God who says, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. The God who says, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. That God who stayed faithful through all of Israel's idolatry, through all of their sin, through all of their mess. That God is the same God who loves you with that same faithfulness. And when you get that into your mind, that God stays faithful, even when you've not spent any time with God at all, even when you are distracted by just about anything but your relationship with God, God stays faithful through that. The gospel is explained as a story of covenants of people making covenants with God. And in the Old Testament, there's kind of just a series of people breaking that covenant, of going their own way, but God staying faithful. And then that covenant was fully realized. The covenant that God made with the people in the Old Testament was fully realized in the person of Jesus, and a new covenant emerged. So we actually have something different. For the people in Hosea, it was a future hope. But we have something right now. We have God living in us. God changing us all the time. And we also have Jesus. The man who took the separation that we deserve. You see, the exile kind of was a symbolic representation of the people of Israel being severed 
from God's presence. And actually, that's what we deserve, because we've, we've broken our side of the covenant. But God says, no, Jesus has taken that separation, so now your relationship with God can be fully restored. Hosea ends with a plea. It says, return to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously. And in Jesus, we find that forgiveness. And we find that gracious reception. The more we think on God's love, the more we will be inclined to love him. Because he loves us perfectly. He loves us wholly. He loves us faithfully. And I think there are three responses to Hosea that we could, we could have. Perhaps you're here and you're guarding a part of your heart. Well, I want to encourage you today to give it all to him. And you can trust in God's faithfulness. He will not let you down. Perhaps you're here and you think, my heart just strays the whole time. I just, I can't help it. It's constantly distracted. Well, ask for more of the Spirit, because he has the power to change your heart. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, then essentially all I want for you to do is just to think about God's love for you. The love that God shows for Israel in spite of all of their mess. The love that he shows for the people here who know him, he extends towards you as well. So just think about that. Maybe speak to a friend that brought you or come and find me afterwards if you have any questions. We're going to respond now. Um, and if the bank could come back up, what, what I want us to do is, because, because I'm, I, I believe God is calling us to wholeheartedness today, but I also believe that that can only come from a place of knowing how much God loves us. Um, I, I, we're going to listen to a song first. The Bean is going to sing a song about God's enduring faithfulness for us. And I think that's, that, at the end of the day, is the most important thing. If we just get that rooted in ourselves, but then after that, the band are going to lead us in a song where we can respond and say, okay, God, I give you my all. So I'm just going to end my bit of the talking just by reading a bit from 1 John 4, which talks about God's love for us and how that affects our love too. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us, given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. <laughs>